0: This morning I want to talk to you about life-saving devices. You'd think that a life-saving device would be something important, as is described in the name. Uh, but you'd be surprised how often people ignore a life-saving device. Uh, for, take, for example, the life vest. The orange life vest that you're supposed to wear when you're in the water. It will keep you from drowning in a water emergency. Take, for example, perhaps the lifeboat that is designed to for those who are traveling on a ship. Uh, if, if perhaps something goes wrong with the ship, uh, then you have something, a vessel in, into which you can climb and save yourself. Or perhaps you've been on an airplane and they have the oxygen masks which descend from the ceiling when the airplane cabin depressurizes. It will keep you from dying from hypoxia. Uh, and, and it will happen in a matter of seconds. And, and yet, all of these devices, as critical and as as hugely important as they are, are vastly and largely ignored and passed by. Uh, you probably know the story of uh, uh, the tragic story of the people in Branson, Missouri, who got onto a duck boat and tragically perished with those life vests literally inches above their head because the life vests weren't being worn and the vessel got into trouble and they sank and they perished. Uh, You probably well know the tragedy of the Titanic that went down in in the icy waters of the ocean. Uh, The unsinkable ship began to sink and those several thousand people began to search for the lifeboats not realizing that there weren't enough lifeboats, not paying attention to how many people went into the lifeboats, and tragically underfilling them. Not going near to capacity. And maybe you've been on a plane when the people, the stewards and stewardesses, and the captain are giving these life-saving instructions about how to apply this mask, and what priority of people are to get the mask, and how it's to happen, and what are people doing? While these life-saving instructions are being given, they're checking their email, downloading the podcast before the plane takes off, trying to connect to the Wi-Fi. You see, human beings have this propensity to ignore that, which is very important, because the very important comes to us, and so often it comes to us in frequent occurrences that we, we see them every day and we ignore it until it's absolutely necessary. In this building are several fire extinguishers, uh, they're these uh, devices that sit on the wall, and they just wait for a moment when there's trouble. I've been at Northside since 2001. I, I know there are fire extinguishers all over the place. They're around exactly where they should be, but it wasn't until July 4th, which happened to fall on a Sunday that year, and, and the, the teens and the parents were playing with fireworks out in the parking lot. Thought it would be real fun, and it was. It was a lot of fun, uh, until all of a sudden we noticed that there was a puff of smoke in that field to the north of us. Uh, some, somehow, some way, a firework had gone astray and went over into the field and had not extinguished before it got there, and it began to ignite the grass on fire. And the next thing I noticed is a fiery redhead by the name of Cody Smith, with all his might, carrying a fire extinguisher above his head, saying, "Fire!" And I was so thankful in that moment that Cody did exactly the right thing. But it occurred to me afterward, man, I'm so, I'm, you know, ever since that happened, I know exactly where a fire extinguisher is. But I had, up, up to that point, had walked by them, passed by them, and scarcely gave notice until the time, the moments, the precious seconds, when it was so important. And then in those moments, my brain sort of scattered. We're talking about life-saving vessels this morning. And the life-saving vessel we're talking about this morning is really a vessel. It was a very common vessel, but it's a different kind of life-saving vessel. It is a manger. Now, unless you're working in the field of industry, a manger, is agriculture rather, a manger is not something you're going to see every day. It was a, a simple wooden structure... Luke Campbell built this one for me, designed to, to hold the food for the animals. Usually you would see one full of hay. In fact, if you're interested, the Bible doesn't just talk about mangers in the story of the birth of Jesus. It talks about it in a few other places. Turn to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, is a very unusual proverb. It doesn't fit into the Christmas story, but it tells us about mangers. Proverbs 14, verse 4, the book of wisdom says this, Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. Or some translations say the manger is clean. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Harvest. Now, I remember a teenager asking me about this. What does that proverb even mean? It doesn't even seem to make sense. What it's saying there is, if you have oxen, you don't have a a nice, pretty, clean manger like this. You you have a, a, a manger that is gross looking. It's probably covered in animal feces. It probably smells terrible. Because it's surrounded by oxen, and oxen don't really care about the cleanliness of the environment that they live in. But the strength comes from the power of the oxen. So if you want oxen, you're going to have to learn to deal with stinky, disgusting, dirty mangers. Now, this very common device that was certainly seen a lot around Bethlehem was a gross, smelly, disgusting vessel. It was used to feed animals, but God was going to use this vessel to deliver human beings, to save us, to rescue us from our sins. You see, what made this manger special in Bethlehem was not what it was, but rather what it contained. Not the hay, not the food for the animals. It contained a babe, a precious child that had been promised long ago. And what made within this manger were three things... Beyond just a baby. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The first is, within this manger was a long-anticipated promise. You and I sing, Away in the manger. And because we understand what was in that manger. We understand, after 2,000 years or so, what it's all about. But... But you've you got to think backwards for just a minute. The, the, the manger beheld a long-awaited child of promise. I, I don't know if you've ever been made a promise and, and you just waited and you waited and you waited and you weren't sure when it was going to happen. Uh, sometimes young ladies wear these promise rings. And it's essentially saying, someday I intend to marry you. there's anticipation surrounding that. Well, in the same way, the Jewish people had been promised a child, a Messiah, a Deliverer. And he had been promised in a number of ways. But it it was a long-awaited promise. Turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we'll go back 5 or 10,000 years. And I think I said Genesis 12, but I, I meant Genesis chapter 3, and surely you knew that. Chapter 3 of Genesis verse 15, in the fall of man is the promised child. Oh, it doesn't come right out and spell it, but here's what it says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. The first mention of a Messiah, of a Savior, of a Rescuer, of a Deliverer came five, ten thousand years ago to a newly fallen humankind. Turn over now to Genesis chapter 12. I know you've been waiting with eager anticipation to get there. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, a promise to a man by the name of Abram. A man, by the way, who didn't have any children. And This is the promise that God made in part to this childless old man. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. You see, it was a promise. It was a long-awaited promise. And we move up to about 2,700 years ago, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah, chapter 9, the prophet there, who spoke regularly about the Messiah and often wrote of him in his book, chapter 9, verse 6. Some scriptures you will recognize. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. You see, the the fulfillment of, of promise that this manger beheld was something special. And then if we look back just 2,000 years, the scriptures we've studied on in this very series, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the announcement by the angel to Mary. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign with the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. This manger beheld a babe that was the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. You and I look back as we are off to do when we can look back in hindsight and say, Oh, yes, but you see, from their perspective, a manger was a disgusting, filthy, gross tool of trade. that was sort of a have-to-have thing. They did not expect to see the child of promise within the trough for animals. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 explains to us that this offering, that this gift that God gave to us happened, it didn't. wasn't just accidental. It wasn't just, oh, well, let's send Jesus now. This was done at a specific time for a specific reason in the timeline of history. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and following. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, Born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights as sons. Full adoption as sons, some translations say. You see, what they saw in the manger that night was the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. And when we look at the next verse, we see that the manger was a most humble entrance. And She gave birth to her firstborn son. and She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Can you, can you imagine for just a moment the, 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 the very thought that there was no room for Jesus? There was no room for the mother of Jesus in the inn? No room... He's the creator of time and space. He's the creator of all things. He literally made room. He spoke room into existence. He made the impossible. No room? You make room. This is the Messiah, the promised child, but they didn't know. Let every heart prepare him room. We can pick on the innkeep. We can we can pick on those who might have served the night for not knowing what precious babe they beheld in the inn. But let me ask you this. Have you crowded out the child who should be king of your heart? And have you let other things sit on the throne? Prepare him room is not just admonition for the innkeep. It's admonition for us. That we might in our hearts place Him at the center and crowd everything else out instead of letting everything crowd Him out. May we make room for Him. A manger is, as we said, a trough for feeding animals. It's a, a most unlikely place, especially for your firstborn child. You remember your firstborn child? You remember how that went? And you 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 put them. Oh oh man, I've just got the perfect illustration right here. This is exactly what you do. I'm not going to take the child. Don't worry. But but this is. Oh, thank you for this. This is perfect. This is exactly. This is the plastic cocoon that you bring your child in. This is the. Oh man, I make the baby cry. I'll give it back here. That's the cocoon that we bring the firstborn home from the hospital in. I mean, I remember we waited like six or seven weeks before we even dared to bring our precious firstborn Tyler into all of the people of the church with all their germs and the coughing and the sneezing and the the, the germs, just the grossness. We didn't even let people hold him or touch him because we were so worried about our precious. Can you imagine... As a parent with your firstborn child, not having the nursery ready in time, bringing him or her home from the hospital. thinking, and the, oh, Where are we going to put that kid? Where are we going to put him? Let's see, there's a spot over here in the bathroom, right here on the floor. Or maybe over here by the kitty litter box. That'll work. You know, we've got some space in that outdoor garden shed. We could just put him right in there. It'd be okay. We, we, we couldn't even fathom such a thought, but here they are taking the promised child who's been promised for thousands upon thousands of years and placing him in a place to feed the animals. I, I borrowed a baby last week for the la- last week's lesson. I couldn't find anyone who let me borrow their baby to place them in a the manger this morning. Now you laugh, but you think about that. A manger was a most humble entrance into the world, even their world. You wouldn't place your own child there. And yet God allowed his own son to be placed in there? Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The scriptures say that the process of the incarnation was a very humbling act. And it wasn't just about being placed in the manger, it was far deeper than that. But it's just the first picture, of the beginning of what Jesus came to do. Jesus, this is verse 6, who being in very nature God. Had a man come to me yesterday at our house, knocked on the door, wanted to study with me. And, and they happened to believe that Jesus is a God, but not the God. But the scripture says quite the opposite. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. You understand that Jesus was in charge of death, that Jesus didn't have to die before he came into into our world, that he was above the punishment of death, but he humbled himself and became flesh and then he submitted his flesh to death. And not just any death, not a respectable kind of death with honor and privilege applied toward it. This was the death of a common criminal, that he would die. And why did he do that? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may not have known that. I'm not sure if you've done that. I'm not sure if your tongue has confessed that Jesus is Lord. I'm not sure if your knee has bent to him as Lord. But someday it will. Someday your tongue will confess. Someday someday your knee will bend to his lordship. And you can choose whether that's now or in eternity. But you will bow because he humbled himself in such a way. Think about it. The purpose of the manger, as Mark said this morning, was to bring in a child would become a man who would go to a cross from the manger to the cross to make room at God's table for you and I. It was a most humble entrance, but it was the way he had to come to lay him down his life that we might have life. There was a a man by the name of Andy Mathis, who was a veterinarian. You see, for for, for you and I, it's hard to understand what it's like for God to become flesh, how humbling that was. So maybe I'll explain it this way with Andy's story. Andy, being a veterinarian, was brought a hard case. There was this little dog that had been left by the road, was in bad shape, had been basically left for dead. Uh, And the dog was skittish around people. It wouldn't eat, and he he was trying to get get it back to health. And so, finally, Dr. Andy, a prestige veterinarian, did a very humble thing. If we'll bring down the lights, and we'll show the story of Dr. Andy and the dog, Gracie. see, Dr. Andy did a very humbling thing when he climbed into the cage with her. When God became flesh, he climbed into the cage with us. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm sure that cage was gross. It didn't smell good. I mean, it was just the visual of him eating out of a bowl meant for animals, a- eating his own food out of that same bowl that he might encourage her to eat for the simple purpose of getting her to trust him, getting her to know him. There was a purpose in Jesus coming into the world and it was part of stepping into the cage with us, part of stepping into our mess, into our world. And changing it forever. The manger you see became heaven's holy treasure chest. Continuing on in Luke chapter 2 if you're following along verse 16 So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him they spread the word concerning about what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I I, I doubt that the shepherds fully understood the mystery within the manger. But did Mary, did she fully understand it? Oh, we talked about that. She she just said, oh, "Your Lord, it's your word, Lord. No word from you will ever fail." Did Joseph understand it? The mystery in the manger? By no means. He misunderstood it, just like much of the people around him surely did. Maybe the question's more personal. Do we? Do we understand it? Do we just say, "Well, it's this time of year." Probably better go to church. Probably hear about the birth story. Can we just take that for granted? I want us to think for just a moment on a a scripture that's not really a part of the birth story, but tells us greatly about the story. About the treasure, the Messiah that lied within the manger. Colossians chapter 1. And as, as we read it together, I just want you to think about it. For in Him, for in this child that lied within this manger, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. May we not miss the mystery of the manger. Oh, I know, it's just a common, ordinary vessel. But the treasure it contained was a long-awaited promise. The treasure it contained was a gift from heaven to earth that we didn't earn and could never repay. May we not pass by the manger and stop, fail to stop to ponder the mystery and the beauty and the majesty of it. May we be filled with holy wonder. We, You see, we don't have to understand all the intricacies of how it happened to believe that it happened and to know that it happened. Paul wrote this to Timothy. He says, Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory. Don't just stop at the wonder. May you know the way. May you know the child that was within this common, ordinary, gross vessel. Jesus came to earth through humble people, humble parents, and a humble manger. But the manger was just a vessel. What made it precious was what lied within the vessel, the treasure within it. Jesus was the holy person who fulfilled the holy promise. He was the creator who entered into, into the created world. He was heaven's eternal treasure using the lowly vessel of an earthly trough. You see, the only way to heaven, the scripture tells us, is through him. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the scriptures say this. Jesus said, in fact, about of himself, I am the way. And the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I know some will discount Jesus. You know, he was a good man. You know, he was a a great teacher among many great teachers. He, He was a good man among many good men and women. No, Jesus said this of himself. I am the way. I know the song is a way in a manger. But may we not miss that he's the way in the manger. Sent by God to redeem us, so the final question is this: Do you know the way? This is the way to heaven is not by your good works. it 's not by anything you 've done. it's not by writing the coattails of your grandmother or your family member. it 's not by writing anyone else 's righteous works. It's not just a path among many paths that all lead to the same destination. No, Jesus said, I am the way. The only way back to heaven is through the babe that lied in the manger. If you don't know him this morning, I realize it's Sunday before Christmas and you've got plans, but there are no greater plans than to make sure you know the way. And if you don't know him this morning, if you haven't put your trust in him, if you haven't confessed Him as Lord, if you haven't been buried with Him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, then you don't know the way. And we'd like to help you know the way because He surely wants to know you. If you do not know the Messiah who lied within the manger and you need to know Him, you can come this morning and we'll help you make the introduction. And if there's anything else we can do, can we pray for you? Can we encourage you? Whatever we might do, our shepherds, A will be down in front, right here. If you need to know the way, or if you need us to encourage you in any other way, please come this morning, as together we stand and sing.